very sorry if anybody's from Blackpool. So my parents live near Blackpool, it's acceptable to say. Um, <laughs> maybe. Um, and actually, it's a great letter because it's the only letter that Paul wrote to a church that he hadn't actually kind of visited or founded. Um, the church was founded um, on the preaching of a chap called Epharas who had uh, met Paul and been converted by him. And what you've got to picture is that this is like a really small house church. It's probably about no more than 30 people. And they're living in this slightly down at heel town called Colossae. And the world around them thinks they're absolutely mad. And they haven't got a Bible, like we've got the Bible or anything like that. All they've got is this fact that they've met someone telling them about the Lord Jesus Christ and that they've come into a living relationship with God. And all around them, they've got the pressure to conform to what they were before. And what they were before, I was saying this last week, so I'll quickly rehearse it, and was one of two options. Either they were sort of first century um, Jew, which means they were used to a religion that was built, you know, completely and utterly on kind of duty and legalism. Um, it was about sort of what you wore and what you eat and things like that. And there's nothing inherently wrong with duty. It's God-given. You know, God clearly gives us uh, laws and parameters, but it was kind of duty gone mad. Or they had converted from first century kind of pagan religion, which was like desire gone mad. It was sort of temple orgies and all sorts of really not good stuff. And again, there's nothing wrong with desire. God made us to desire him and to desire each other in marriage, to really know and love each other in friendship. But the Colossians had these kind of pressures that they were being pulled to one of the two poles, either to kind of set up camp in duty or to set up camp in desire. And so what Paul is doing and writing to them is saying, actually, this Christian thing, this new way, this is the truth. This is like the perfect middle ground. This is what it means to be a human being. This is what it means to be fully alive, is to bring everything under the lordship of Jesus Christ, to get hold of duty and get hold of desire and work them out perfectly in relationship with Jesus Christ. And so the headline of Colossians is simply that actually truth is about a relationship with a person, Jesus Christ. And it's in whom we become a new creation. And we're going to get into that new creation stuff in a moment. So where have we got to by the time we get to chapter 3? Um, chapter 1, headline is Jesus. Absolutely amazing, amazing poem about Jesus. Read it. Kate was talking about that a few weeks ago. Um, chapter 2, Tim was really getting into the Colossian heresy, which was kind of dealing with this whole duty desire thing. Um, and now we hit this point, turning point in the letter, chapter three, where Paul goes on to say, okay, this Christian thing, this Jesus thing, this is how you live it. And so we've got the verses that we've read. Um, then we've got the uh, rules for Christian households, if you just look down at verse 18. Um, to 25. Um, and then following on, um, chapter 4, there's some like concluding remarks about prayer and wisdom and good speech and those sorts of things. Um, we're going to major on verses um, 1 to uh, 17 this evening. And that's not because I'm skirting um, wives submit to your husbands. Um, but we're going to talk about that in um, quite deep detail, actually. In October, we're going to do some stuff about men and women in church, and then we're going to look at 1 Peter in January, which kind of goes into it. But I just wanted to give a kind of couple of headlines around the, that sort of area. If anyone's sitting there going, oh, I don't really know what to do with that line. We've got to see this sort of stuff, especially when Paul is writing it, because he's so contextual, in the context of the first century. 
And we've got to see everything in the context of Romans 16. And if you read Romans 16, it is just this beautiful, beautiful list of men and women, old and young, slave and free, ministering for God. And there are female apostles and leaders, and there are male apostles and leaders, and we really believe in a male leadership in this church, even though it maybe didn't look like it this evening. Tim's sick in bed. But anyway, um, so, you know, and it's, it's just brilliant, absolutely brilliant vision for the church, Romans 16. And what the New Testament is saying to us is that actually men and women are absolutely, absolutely equal, and they're called to minister and to be God's hands and feet. But they're also distinct. There's distinction in equality. And actually, at the most kind of theological level, um, it goes back to the Trinity. The fact that the Trinity is one and it's free. So it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are completely equal and completely distinct. And of course, we're made in God's likeness. So that's what's going on. We take this sort of stuff and we look at it and we go, okay, what, what is the context? And it's completely countercultural to the first century. Actually, in the first century, women were basically second class citizens. And Paul here is saying, Husbands, love your wives. No one said that. No one said that. Actually, the Christian sexual ethic redeemed women in a way that had never been seen before. So that's what's going on in um, verses 18 to. 25. It's about good order. It's about not bringing um, the gospel into disrepute. It's about saying yes, yes, yes to equality, but not to anarchy in a first century context. Okay. And the point is Jesus. So how do we live this stuff then? Let's dig in. What do we do spiritually and theologically? Okay. So if we look at verses um, one to four, since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And what's going on there is that we're being called to a kind of twofold thing. So one, we've got to know who God is. And two, we've got to know who we are in God. So who is God? Well, set your minds on things above. Actually, there's this thread throughout the whole of the New Testament that again and again speaks of us as like strangers and aliens, that our citizenship is in heaven, that we're called to have dual sight so that we've got our physical eyes, we've also got our spiritual eyes. And our spiritual eyes, the eyes of our hearts, are so fixed on heavenly realities, are so working out who God is, how much he loves us, what he means to our lives, that actually that fuels our physical journey as we just kind of open these eyes right now and go, oh, right, that's what's in front of me on a Monday afternoon. Fix your eyes on things above. Get to know who God is. But in doing that, we're also called to, to know who we are in Christ. So verse 3 Oh, I just literally love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. It's all about security. 
Actually, in Cafe Theology, we were talking about the fact that um, in the resurrection of Jesus, somehow, us as human beings, we're like taken up into the life of God. And we're completely, completely secure. He's got us. We're completely secure in him. So security. But we're also a new creation. Because it says, for you died. Well, clearly we haven't died. Like, we're all sitting here right now. But actually, something in us when we became Christians died and was raised again in Christ. And so we use this word, um, new creation. And I really like to think of this as buying a pair of new clothes. So I was just having a little play with this. Um, and recently, I had to put on some new clothes, which I still don't feel very comfortable in. So um, these are my new clothes. Um, I look very silly in them a lot of the time, and they're really hot, so I'm not going to put them on. Um, so, becoming a Christian is something like putting on a new pair of clothes that maybe in the first instance can feel a bit odd and a bit like, oh, the behavior's got to change. But actually, as you wear it, it becomes comfortable and it becomes you. And so, Chapter 2, verse 20, you died and you're with Christ, new self. Verse 3, for you died to the old self and your life is now hidden with Christ on high. Jumping down to verses 9 to 10, since you've taken off the old self of its practices and put on the new self, the new clothes, which has been renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Being a Christian means being reborn. If you've been around Christianity for any length of time, you'll hear that phrase, won't you? Born again, born again, born again. It's what it means that actually in becoming a Christian, we are born again. We put on a new self and we become a new creation that is seen spotless and clean before the Father through Jesus. And that's why um, baptism is so important. That's why Christians have been baptizing people since the earliest of times. Because it just symbolizes putting on the new self. That's why people often get changed, partly because they have got very wet too, and they need to put new clothes on. But it's a symbolism of your new self, of becoming new in Christ. Okay, so that's what's going on spiritually and theologically. Right, so as we rattle through, so we hit verse 5. What on earth does this all mean practically? Um, And um, Paul here actually uses kind of two strands. He uses sex and he uses speech to help us to figure out what this means practically. And that's because earlier in chapter two, he kind of dealt really well with like duty and duty gone mad. So now he kind of jumps into this like desire side of things and he starts to like unpick what might be going on in that area. So here we go, verses um, five to 10. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which has been renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. And Paul goes after sex and speech. Because both of them have the power to cause disunity within this kind of Christian community. And that's still true today. 
And speech, that kind of makes some immediate sense to us, doesn't it? You know, like a harsh word or gossiping or stuff like that. Of course, that's going to cause like disunity amongst us. That's obvious. But actually, Paul's saying sex is just the same. Because sex isn't just about ourselves. Actually, we live in this incredibly individualistic culture that says I'm either a unit of one or if I let someone else in, that's okay because I become like a unit of two. And that's not biblical. The church is a body. We're a group of people. And so the things that we do kind of affect the body. Actually, the relationships that we have, whether they're friendship, whether it's being single, whether it's marriage, they're all for each other. They're not just about our little unit of one or two. And where sex goes wrong, it really, really breaks up community. So Paul jumps in to that, and he jumps into desire gone mad. And so sexual immorality, okay, what we've got to know is sex is like a good thing. God created it, and he loves it. And within marriage, he wants us to get on with it very happily. Um, but the biblical standard is sex within marriage. It's just right there in scripture. You can't fudge it. And why? Why? People so often ask me why. Actually, at the deepest level, it's theological and spiritual. And it goes back to um, a verse in 1 Corinthians, if you can wing that up, James. Sorry, I didn't bring the clicker thing. Here we go. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. And actually goes on to say you were bought at a price. It's not that sex is any worse than any other sin. And like grace abounds. Please hear that this evening. Grace abounds. But there's something about it. Because we're temples of the Holy Spirit. Because Christ died for us. Because we were bought at a price. It's a really, really powerful, important thing. And it's reserved for marriage. And it's about us being the bride of Christ as the church. That's Ephesians 5. And it's about us being temples of the Holy Spirit and honoring God and honoring each other. And at a practical level, it's because he knows us. You know, Scripture says he is the potter and we're the clay. And he knows what's best for us. And if you just, you know, I just reflect on it practically sometimes. You know, guys, breakups, right, are hard enough as they are without having to put to bed really, really intimate memories. If we hold it for marriage, it's so much better for us. If we hold it in singleness, it's so much better for us. But Paul says that actually it's an even deeper truth than perhaps like just the physical act. Actually, it's lust, it's greed that there's those like starting points of four trains. And ultimately, the challenge for us in an individualistic culture is to know that before else it's about the other person. And so that you are looking at that other person and saying, actually, you are a son and daughter of the king. And I want to honor you more than I want to take what I want. That's what's going on with Paul. But I do really, really want to say that um, grace abounds in this area because I was not always a Christian and I haven't always got it right. Um, okay. And then he gets hold of speech. 
which is equally enforceable. Okay. And so what's going on with speech? Well, he grabs hold of the motivation, doesn't he? So like anger, rage, malice, verse 8. He says, before else, get hold of your motivation. Get hold of your anger. Check it. Then he speaks into the way that we can speak to each other. So rid yourselves of filthy language. Actually, you know, how are we doing on swearing and blaspheme and all of that? How are we doing on crude jokes? It's like so easy, isn't it? And I'm preaching to myself too here. Um, and then he really gets to the number of it in verse 9, where he says, actually, don't lie. Don't lie. Because Christianity is about truth. And truth is a person. It's Jesus Christ. And so James goes on to say, you know, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Actually, don't let there be discord through speech any more than we let there be discord through sex or anything else that we do. Okay, so that's the what. So the why. Well, of course, the major why is because we're God's holy people. We're this new creation wearing new clothes. We've got an eternal destiny. So verses at 12 down to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Sounds a bit like Galatians, doesn't it? Galatians 5, fruits of the spirit. Paul wrote that too, so that's probably why it's quoted there. And bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. The primary reason we do all of this is because we are a holy people, a royal priesthood, called to be his hands and feet and to declare his praises and to call people from darkness to light. But we also do it because of unity. You know, Jesus' last prayer before the cross, John 17, is I pray that they will be one as we are one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Scripture screams out for unity. And Paul says we walk this stuff out because unity is so important. We're the church, we're one body, we're God's hands and feet. Verse 11, there's no Gentile, there's no Jew. All these walls that have been going on, all these duty and desire walls, all this confusion, it's all broken down in Jesus Christ. And so we bear with each other and forgive one another. Hold short accounts. And we walk in love, which binds us in unity. So, don't worry, I'm coming into uh, land now. How? Final few verses, 15 to 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful that the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So at a personal level, we practice this stuff. And we practice walking out what we see in scripture. We grab hold of our new clothes. I'm not suggesting you should all get a cassock. But, you know, they don't necessarily, doesn't necessarily feel that comfortable at first. It's kind of new walk. And because we are who we are, and because we live in a fallen world, we're going to need to keep putting it on. Keep putting it on. 
keep putting on the new creation, keep putting on our Christian nature, keep putting on our identity in Christ again and again and again. And as we do, it just becomes comfortable. It becomes a normal part of who we are. So we practice it. And it often starts with our thought lives, just with small decisions. You sort out the small things, and the big things just take care of themselves. It's always the way. Um, I don't know who wrote this little, I don't know what you call it, ditty or something like that. That's from like 1950, wasn't it? But anyway. Um, right. So anyway, so can we wing up? Next? Thank you. So sow a thought, reap an action. Sow an action, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. Actually, that's what Paul is getting at. It's just the thought stuff. Begin with the little things. And it starts to change our character. And it changes our destiny. And patterns will always become habits. But in Jesus Christ, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can change our patterns. If any of you have come in here tonight with any stuff and you're like, you know what, God, I just want to shift on this one. You absolutely can. I know that personally. I had a very drastic shift when I became a Christian over the past 14 years. I've had some other shifts as I've needed to sort of change things, all of that. He can and he will. You just ask him to. So the really small stuff, if we thought about sex, what about like what we watch? Like in all honesty, how helpful is Love Island? Game of Thrones probably is not helpful at all if you want to sort out your sex life. So maybe just have a think about what you're watching. Um, I suddenly came up with this, uh, this just is, um, kind of helps me a bit in that um, I don't watch my laptop or anything like that in bed. Actually, I've kind of like reserved the TV of watching of things for the living room. Just makes life easier. You know, come up with some stuff that works for you. Um, what are you thinking? What are you saying? especially in reference to, you know, the opposite sex. How's the Facebook stalking going? Those sorts of things. Let's have a little think. Um, if you are in a relationship and, um, you know, you're not married yet or whatever, like, what question are you asking? Is the question, how close to the line can I be? Or is it, I'd like to be quite far from the line? And probably, guys, in all honesty, if you're thinking I need to ask a question about it, that might just be the nudge of the Holy Spirit saying, Mm-mm. maybe just, you know, veer away from that a little bit and stuff like that. So just, just have a think, have a reflection. Speech. Um, how is your rage threshold? Actually, London, especially at commuter time on the tube, how much anger does it breed? Like, I just become this, like, angry human being. And I've done it in my dog collar. And then I'm like, oh, my goodness, this is just horrendous. Um, and you just be shut down this little unit of anger. Like, oh, no, she's still real. Breathe. You know, um, so how's your rage threshold? I'm really bad on the tube. That's why I walk to work. Um, how are, how do you, are you doing on the kind of, like, thinking before you speak? Just a kind of five-second breath. We're, none of us are perfect in this, but maybe are just thinking before you speak. Um, how's your humor? Is it veering on the crude side, you know, or is it not? Is it seasoned with salt? You'll know. Um, how's your swearing, your blasphemy, all of that? We all struggle with that. Um, how's your gossiping? 
It's a big challenge, isn't it, into the Asian culture? Are we actually just saying it because it's helpful to say it, or is it that kind of like, oh, well, you know what that person, you know, um, we, I, yeah, we really struggle with that in today's culture. So that's us. Little personal decisions, see where they take you in the power of the Spirit. But Paul's big headline is that we don't do this on our own. We do it in Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit, but we do it with each other, which is the most exciting thing. So verse 11, here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And Jesus Christ, every single boundary has been broken down. Everyone is welcome in. He flung wide his arms upon the cross for each and every one of us who has ever walked the face of this earth. And he beckons us in if we'll receive it by his name. So we do this stuff together. So actually, um, accountability groups or maybe just one-on-one conversations, whatever you've got around you. Actually, you giving another person permission to speak into your life. Just needs to be one person that you trust. And just turn to them and say, it's okay. In fact, it's not just okay. Please ask me the hard questions. Find someone who you've asked to ask you the hard questions. We do this stuff together. That's what it means to teach and admonish each other. And we worship together. That's what it's ending with. Through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. You know, that's what we're doing here. That's why it's so important to come and be church together like this. That's why it's so important to get a bit of time out and go to focus on new wine or soul survival or David's tent or shift or wildfires or anything else that's been invented recently. Um, You know, it's so important because we need to get together. Because when we get together, we end up singing what we sang earlier, which is, in the light of your glory and grace, the things of earth grow strangely dim. And that's where we get back to the starting point of we're fixing the eyes of our heart on Jesus Christ, on eternal realities. And that is our motivation and that is our vision. And that allows us to run this race and to actually be a new creation people. And for it not to feel like this big, heavy burden, but for it to feel complete freedom. And for us to know the Father's love and his grace and his goodness. Because we do it all in him and Christ is all in all. Okay, that's Colossians 3. It's a good chapter. Um, thought I'd end with this quote from Tom Wright that um, I really like, actually. Um, brilliant. So, whatever you do or say, you must be able to stand having the words written above it. And this is from verse 17. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Settle that in your hearts and minds, and a great deal else will fall into place. It's a good one. Tom Wright was very clever. So, I think what we're going to do is, I'm just going to wait on the Lord, if that's okay with everybody. Um, Should we stand, maybe have a little stretch? Um... And let's let this settle. It's going to be really different for each and every one of us. And if you're anything like me, um, 
maybe one or two things where they've been kind of nudging you, you've been going, oh, right, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at at the moment. And there'll be something totally different for the person next to you. But the Lord wants to meet with each and every one of us. So I'm just going to pray, and then we'll wait in the quiet for a bit, and then maybe if Rach and um, Charlie want to come up, that would be great. And we'll just pray, hang out with Jesus. No better thing to do. Yeah, Lord, we thank you that you gave it all for us. And Lord, what a privilege that we get to be your hands and feet, that we are these uh, new creation people wearing new clothes, that we get to put that on daily, that we get to walk out of here in confidence. And so, Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would fall in this place this morning. do whatever it is you want to do with your children standing here. as I was um, praying about this I thought that maybe there's um, a few things going on for various people um, it's kind of general but maybe for some of us the Holy Spirit is really nudging us in a particular area and we, we just want to kind of bring it before Jesus and say hey, here you go, I need some grace and strength um, I wondered if there might be someone here who's actually not really sure if they have put on these new clothes before and they just want to do that with Jesus. They want to say, hey, I'm in. Also really felt that maybe there are one or two of us who have heard an awful lot of talk about unity and community in the church. But you're still feeling like you're on the outside. And if that's you, the Father really wants to minister to you and to, to change someone this evening. It might be that um, we're also sitting here and it's something else entirely, but we just know we want someone to pray with us about something. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to start to worship. Um, I could just ask like Joe and Lou and maybe G and stuff if they just want to hang over there. Um, if you want to pray with someone through anything I've said or anything else indeed, we love to pray with each other, then um, just feel free to pop over to that side, your left, um, as we sing and worship and receive from the Lord. He loves you because he loves you because he loves you and grace abounds, whatever you're thinking or feeling tonight.